I bet you're wondering what this podcast is about. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever woken up one morning and you were just like, man, I don't feel like I used to. Or maybe you have little kids and you want to teach them about their bodies, but keep their attention and make it funny. Or maybe you had an accident and now you're wondering how to get healthy again. But, oh my gosh, where do you even begin? I mean, all those different websites and self-help books, and there's a million podcasts out there. And really, biology can be so boring, especially for little kids. Well, I'm here to tell you, fear not. I'm here for you. I got you covered. I'll tell you interesting stories about the body. You'll learn a little bit of something. Sometimes you'll laugh. Sometimes you might cry, but I guarantee you, you'll have something to talk about at the dinner table. Welcome to Autobiology Bits, the podcast where you can hear real-life biology stories from a quirky maven to help you become an expert on your own biology. If high school biology had been as interesting as this podcast, you might have become a doctor. Introducing Chief Autobiologist, JLF. Thank you to my friend Francis for that awesome introduction. So yes, I am Jennifer Littlefleck, otherwise known as JLF, and the host of this podcast, Autobiology Bits. So welcome to the inaugural episode. I'm sure that you have some questions such as, what is autobiology? Is this podcast right for me? Who am I? Uh, what's coming up in future episodes? Well, give me the next few minutes to answer those questions, and then I will deliver your first autobiology bit, something that you may have not known about the body that may or may not apply to you, but will nonetheless be interesting and fun to experiment with and give you some interesting dinner conversation just in case you've run out of things to talk about other than COVID. Yay, we all need that. All right, so let's get this party started. Why JLF, first of all? Uh, well, because there are a million Jennifers, and my whole name is just way too long, and it really doesn't roll off the tongue, so JLF it is. What is autobiology? Well, auto means self, and biology is the study of living organisms. So when you put them together, it literally means the study of yourself as a living organism. Simply put, you learning about you, or how you're supposed to work on the inside, specific to your biological makeup. So my goal for this podcast and my autobiology.net website is to help you become the expert on your own biology. And why would you want to become the expert on your own biology? Well, here's the underlying principle that I go by. No two people work exactly the same way because no two people experience what I like to call the four major influencers in the same way. So that's genetics, your environment, you know, where you live, what you're exposed to on a daily basis, even the type of, you know, parenting environment you grew up in. And then you have nutrition, you know, what you eat, how you eat, and how often you eat, all those sorts of things. And then finally, biochemistry. And really, that is just how well your body does or does not carry out all of the necessary chemical reactions to keep you running every day. So these four major influencers, genetics, environment, nutrition, biochemistry, no two people 
have those exact same influencers, not even twins. So knowing how your body works differently than everybody else's allows you to, you know, make different decisions based on how it's going to affect your body. I truly think that we are heading into an age of personalized medicine that would see, would have seemed unthinkable even 10 years ago. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are just an amazing amount of personal devices that are being introduced constantly to help you monitor your own health, whether it's monitoring your sleep, um, understanding your DNA makeup from places like 20 and three and me or understanding the bacterial makeup of your gut from biome or helping you to manage your stress levels through uh, specific electronic vibrational devices there are so many things out there that are targeted at helping you understand what is happening in your body and i have a prediction to make I believe that in the next 10 to 20 years, we are going to see implantable devices that monitor you in real time, only for you, only for your knowledge, um, that tell you things like there's an issue, there's a discrepancy in, or abnormality um, in your blood work. Um, you've been exposed to XX virus or XX bacteria, um, you know, things that will give you information that will give you data on what is happening to you that you can then take to your practitioner if it's serious and say, hey, this is what's happening to me. Here's the data. What do we do? And that is going to be an unbelievable leap forward in not only early diagnosis of disease, but very targeted treatment. So we're not wasting our time with misdiagnosis. Yep, that's my prediction. So who am I? Who is JLF? Well, I have to say that I have the best job in the world. <laughs> I know it's my personal opinion, but hey, this is my podcast, right? Uh, but I am a professional freelance medical writer, which means that people pay me to learn really cool stuff about the body, medical devices, technology breakthroughs, uh, things like that. And yes, you know, pharmaceutical drugs. And then I get to teach it to other people through creating a variety of materials, whether it's, you know, study modules that you read or e-learning programs that you go through, um, tons and tons of stuff. But honestly, it's like being a professional student, only I actually get paid to learn. So seriously, best job ever. If you're just curious how I got here, I started out in transplant research at the University of Pittsburgh, Thomas E. Starzl Transplant Institute, otherwise known as TESTI. Uh, and I am still here based in Pittsburgh. Uh, but from there, from my lab job, I did go into working in the pharmaceutical world for 20 some years. And then I decided, you know, I just really wanted to be my own boss and, and write what I uh, wanted to write about and pick and choose my projects. So here I am. I know what you're wondering. JLF, if you have such a cool job, then why are you doing this? And the reality is because I learned so many cool things and I'm like, man, I wish I would have known that when, I don't know, I was going through puberty or when I was you know, experiencing acne in high school or when I was having my first baby, lots and lots of stuff. And also, you know, when your family members get sick with things that you learn about, you're like, oh, wow, I wish I'd have known that so I could tell them certain things. And then there's also, ah, oh, I have kids and now I'm trying to explain 
body stuff to them. And yeah, so maybe this can help you out there too. I know that my kids are eagerly awaiting their podcast debuts. And with that, we're going to move on to our first autobiology bit. How about that? All right. I'm going to start out with a quick story, as is my usual way, and then I'll kind of explain some things that I learned that will hopefully be super cool and interesting to you. All right, so when I was in high school, I had a friend who had just started college, and this person was required to take a music appreciation class for an elective, and part of this class was they had to listen to a whole bunch of music CDs. It was all classical, and I had just read a study that said you should listen to classical music to help you study. So I asked if I could borrow them, and I did, and I put them on. I was playing them while I was studying, and this one particular piece of music came on called the Moldau, and I started really paying attention to it and listening to it because I just thought it was so beautiful, and I could imagine, you know, a story unfolding in my head, you know, that went along with the music, and then all of this sudden, the music just went into this beautiful, intense moment, and I got the weirdest feeling throughout my body. It started in my head and gave me goosebumps, and it went all the way down my body, down to my toes, and I just felt so happy and amazing when this happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what the heck? Um, Actually, my language was probably more colorful than that. But yeah, I was like, holy crap, what was that? And every time I played that particular passage of music, it would happen. And I and I love doing it because it did. It just made me like have just this general sense of happiness. I just loved it. And I discovered another piece of music in, on in that same set of CDs. I think it's Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 5 that gave me that same chill happiness, goosebumpy feeling. You know, imagine somebody giving you just an amazing scalp massage. Like that's what it was. It only was like through my whole body. Anyway, so over the years, I actually kind of forgot about it until recently. It was probably like a year or so ago. I just happened to put that music on and it happened again. And I was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. And then fast forward again, you know, just a few months ago, I was listening to the Calm app. Uh, my whole family, we listen to Calm at night, uh, whether it's for music or sleep stories or, or what have you. And I noticed this category called ASMR. And I was like, oh, what is ASMR? Never heard of it. If you guys like know where I'm going with this, it's, it's pretty funny. So I open up this ASMR, you know, category, and there's this guy on there called the French Whisperer. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, ooh la la. And... I start playing it, and it was the creepiest thing. It was like some creepy guy whispering in a French accent. and But it was just, oh, I couldn't stand it. I hated it. It was super creepy. I immediately turned it off. But I was like, is this relaxing to other people? I mean, do, do some people really like this? So the next day, I, you know, do what everybody does, which is I Googled it. And I learned that ASMR means autonomous sensory meridian response. Autonomous, you know what that means, right? We're here at autobiology. Auto means self or coming from within. Then we have sensory, dealing with the senses. Meridian refers to really any of several pathways that are believed to, 
you know, in Chinese medicine, uh, conduct energy between the surface of the body and the internal organs, and then just, you know, your response. So what is ASMR? Well, they call it a perceptual condition in which specific stimuli or what they call triggers elicit either like a relaxing or a pleasurable tingling sensation that is initially localized to the head area or the neck and then spreads throughout the other parts of the body. What's interesting about this is really the lack of study of this phenomenon. Most of the literature that I found started documenting ASMR in the early 2000s, but as we'll talk about later, some of the clinical studies that I found are still trying to figure this out, just even like the basis of it, and it's 2018, or some of the most recent ones. You know, in psychology, they they know that there's a lot of different phenomena involved in human functioning that, you know, go unnoticed, misunderstood, they're not applied, you know, or, or basically, they just don't seem interesting to the scientific community, so it doesn't get studied. But they felt like this was one of those things that was starting to take hold. And what's crazy is when actual researchers began to take a look at this, it had already exploded, like on YouTube, with all of these channels that had, you know, hundreds of thousands of subscribers who wanted to listen to people do things that you and I would not consider to be particularly interesting or relaxing. So what are some of those common triggers? Well, a survey by Barat and Davis in 2015 showed that whispering, close-up attention, and slow movements such as hair brushing elicited tingles in over half of the 450 individuals with ASMR that they studied. Other ASMR triggers included watching an individual tap on various objects, watching an individual open a package or complete an intricate task, such as a drawing, painting their fingernails, or applying makeup. As I mentioned, there's tons of YouTube videos on this. There's whole communities online that discuss ASMR and people share their triggers. There's a huge Reddit group uh, that discusses ASMR. So if you are interested in learning more about that, there's tons of places that you can go and find other people and share your experiences. One of the things that they didn't commonly mention is they said auditory triggers, but they didn't really mention music. And I realized that there was a whole different terminology that they use for what I was experiencing called musical frisson. Now, it's related to ASMR, but many people feel that it's a whole different experience. Related, but different. People who experience ASMR, they talk about how it lasts for several minutes, and it's very wave-like as it moves through the body with the intensity, you know, morphing throughout um, as it spreads. With musical frisson, if you recall, I experienced it only for a few seconds, very short, but it was very emotionally arousing for me, but yet a little bit exciting, right? So what the heck is happening in the brain during this? Well, there was a study in 2011 published in Nature Neuroscience that took a look at people who were experiencing frisson during a PET scan, or they did a PET scan while, you know, they were having the experiences. And what they found is that frisson is associated with a dopaminergic response. That is Amazing. That means that your brain actually releases dopamine not only during the frisson, during the peak amount of emotion, emotional response to the music, 
but also in anticipation of it coming. They actually saw two different dopamine pathways that were being activated um, both right before and then during. So let's talk for a second (laughs) about dopamine, um, just in case you're not really um, aware of what it is. So dopamine is a type of neurotransmitter um, in your brain. So your body makes it naturally, right? Your brain uses it to send messages between your nerve cells. Now, the big thing about dopamine that you might be familiar with is that It plays an enormous role in how we feel and perceive pleasure. It's a huge part of the reward, motivation, you know, response um, in our brains to certain things. And for example, if you've ever been hurt very badly or had surgery, likely you were given opioids to help uh, manage the pain and a side effect you know, of pain medications is this dopamine release and it makes you feel really good and great. And unfortunately, that's why some people do develop addiction. Dopamine does a ton of other things as well, right? So it's it's involved in many, many things like learning, um, motivation, like you said, that motivation, pleasure, reward pathway. It also helps to regulate your heart, your kidney functions, your sleep, your mood overall, just pain processing. Um, and a big one is movement. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But basically what, what they learned here is that your body can produce dopamine in response to an external stimulus, such as this music, uh, which is huge because when you're talking about, you know, mental health and trying to get ways to get people to calm themselves down or to manage stress better, we have over the past, you know, 10, 15 years, mindfulness has become a huge buzzword, um, you know, when it comes to mental health and regulating stress and anxiety. And this is a huge way to do that. If you are able to harness that mindfulness of, you know, identifying a frisson trigger, you can actually put yourself in a good mood through, you know, a conscious dopamine release. So that is pretty awesome. One of the interesting things um, when they started looking at the genetic side of this is that they were able to, what they did at first was they started searching for genetic markers with people who had high musical aptitude, right? What they found was the same genes that affected musical aptitude contain genes affecting auditory perception or how we, you know, perceive music and then cognitive performance, you know, how how do our brains function um, along with that? And these genes were also tied to memory, to human language development um, and song perception. So it's all kind of rolled into one. But what's really interesting is these two major genes called the alpha synuclein gene or SNCA and the GATA2 Uh, gene or the binding protein 2 gene, they are also linked to things like Parkinson's disease. And mutations in the SNCA gene influence Lewy body dementia and can cause Parkinson's disease in humans. So what's interesting to me, because I've written extensively about Parkinson's disease, is that Parkinson's disease comes about because of an absence of dopamine. For some reason that we're still trying to figure out, the body stops producing dopamine. 
Um, in fact, the cells in the part of the brain called the substantia nigra, those cells that produce dopamine, they die off. And we, we still don't understand exactly why, but uh, it's a huge problem. Your body absolutely needs dopamine to function. So there's now there's all of this research that's sort of tying these genes together with the study of Parkinson's, the study of perception of music and memory. And there's many studies that are looking at how music, memory, and dementia are all related as well. So very interesting stuff. I hope that you have found this as interesting as I do. I definitely like now to experiment with certain kinds of music to see if I can uh, activate that musical frisson. I don't believe I've ever experienced ASMR so I would be curious to hear from you guys uh, whether or not you've experienced musical frisson, ASMR, or both, what you think the differences might be, and maybe some of your potential triggers. So uh, yeah, please feel free to leave a comment. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for being a part of my very first podcast. I had fun doing it. I look forward to some more, and hopefully you learned something new to talk about at the dinner table. All right. Okay. JLF out. Do you have an autobiology question for JLF? Ask it at autobiology.net. And keep listening to see if your question has been featured. Follow JLF on Twitter and Instagram at autobiology underscore JLF. And remember, anyone can be an autobiologist.